right, so real quick, we have a guest speaker in the house, and we are so honored and honored and blessed to have Pastor Sonny Massar uh, joining us today. He is from Radiant Network, who we partner with, but we love so much, and we are so thankful for their ministry and what God is doing um, up at Radiant. But Radiant has been such a blessing to us here at Chapel and to Pastor Bobby. Um, but every time uh, I talk with Pastor Sonny, uh, he's spoken several times at our meetings, uh, for staff meetings. He has been such an incredible blessing to us. And so we are thankful that he is here today to share with us. So if you would please put your hands together, stand up, and welcome Pastor Sonny Massar. Bless you, Chapel. Wonderful to be here. This is our first time with you, and we are big fans of your pastors. Uh, pastors Bobby and Toya love them dearly, not only as ministry associates, but as friends. And what a gift God has given you in your pastor. I just want to tell you, uh, not only is he a great local church pastor, but do you know that he helps me pastor pastors? Uh, he is uh, a lover of the, the flock under his care, this church, but he also, God has given him a broader reach to encourage and, and help facilitate ministry in other places. So thank you for sharing him with the wider body of Christ. And what a joy for us uh, to be here today. Uh, I'm going to open my laptop here because um, I have my notes electronically, which is very different actually for me. Normally I'm uh, a paper guy, but um, I want to tell you, I, uh, I stayed downtown at the Strickland Hotel. You know where the Strickland Hotel is downtown? And I woke up in the morning and uh, went down to have breakfast at this wonderful place called Big Bad Breakfast. Have you eaten there before? I want to tell you, it's life-changing. Uh, I ordered a side of grits, and I want, I want to announce to you, church, when they make grits, they put cheese and Tabasco sauce in the grits. So I feel like a big, bad, fire-breathing preacher this morning, ready to bring the word. You know, I'm, I'm from up north. We lived 30 years in Minnesota, uh, but uh, now we live in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Every time I'm down south, I always make a point to order grits because you just can't get good grits up north. I went to Bible college in the south in Pensacola, Florida, with your own elder, Ray Sartain. And I met him a hundred years ago in Bible college in Pensacola, Florida. And what a joy to, almost 40 years later, to meet up with Brother Ray and see him serving as a pillar uh, in this church. And I know you have been in a series called The Master, Master Class, and uh, really what I'm going to be talking about is in the same spirit of the master class. Uh, but I'm going to invite you to uh, fly with me at about 30,000 feet uh, today as we look at uh, something that I think is very uh, near and dear to the Lord's heart. So as we begin, let's pray and ask the Lord for his help and wisdom. Lord, we thank you that you've already been ministering now and how you've already been speaking to us and bringing affirmation and comfort to us. And so, Lord, I would ask you now to speak in this moment and allow us to hear not what a human has to say, but what your Holy Spirit has to say to us individually and specifically. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 
Amen. I'd like to introduce you to my family. Uh, we have four children. Becky and I just last month celebrated 35 years of marriage, and uh, I thank God for a wife who loves me. After 35 years, we've raised four children. You see them there, and already this picture, even though it was taken last summer, is already outdated because we have another grandchild due to be born any day, the lovely couple on the left there. Uh, our son, um, Scott, and his wife, Samantha, are expecting a baby any day. And we uh, just had our third daughter there. Becky is holding hands with our daughter, Erin. Three days ago, she got engaged. So a lot's been happening in our world. Uh, a lot of good things have been happening. So I would like to speak to you on the subject, uh, Lessons for Achieving Corporate Maturity. Now, I know Pastor Bobby and the pastors here have been talking with you through this wonderful Sermon on the Mount. And you could be with the Lord, walking with the Lord one week or 50 years. Every time you read and study the Sermon on the Mount, it challenges you, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like Jesus is setting the bar so high. And it allows us to say, Lord, I want to be like you. And as we read the Sermon on the Mount, he explicitly uh, describes how we can be mature and how we can live like Jesus. And you know, when we are believers, we are taken up with our own personal maturity. I hope you are. You know, Lord, I want to grow in you. I want to be more Christ-like uh, than I was last year. I want my faith to grow in you. I hope that's your goal. But you know that there's another aspect of maturity that's happening in the body of Christ, and we're calling that corporate maturity. So let's talk some about this beautiful idea of corporate maturity that was Christ's vision for the church. Did you know that Christ has a desire to grow his church? He says in John 17, my prayer is not only for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may know that you sent me. Do you know that every prayer that Jesus prays is going to be answered? And he says, I want the entire body of Christ, I want all of my kids, those living now and those who will hear the word, word of God in the future, to be one Father. So one, just, just like you and I are one. What a great vision that Jesus has for the body of Christ. And then the Apostle Paul says this. Listen to the passion of the Apostle Paul. It's as if the Apostle Paul says, in all of my ministry, in all of my preaching, in all of my church planting, this is what I consider the win. I want you to see this. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And all the Gentiles in the house said amen. See, Paul said that this gospel message is not just for the Jewish people, it's for the Gentiles. Thank God this was why Paul was called as a, a missionary to the Gentiles, really to bring the Gentile world into the kingdom. But then he goes on to say, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Do you see this? This is like what Paul's end game is. 
I just not, I don't want to just preach. I don't want to just plant churches. My passion is to present everyone mature in Christ. Not just, oh, I prayed a prayer, I'm born again, I've got my ticket to heaven. But no, truly mature in Christ. This was the passion of the Apostle Paul. Next, my thesis for this morning is simply this. Uh, Corporate maturity in the body of Christ takes place as we receive and integrate divine revelation. (laughs) Now that makes a few assumptions. One is that divine revelation is still accessible to you. Number two, that you will hear it. And number three, that you will integrate it. But this, this idea of corporate maturity is where we are going together. And the Lord gives us revelation. Now, Bible scholars uh, differ about how they speak of this term revelation, uh, this, this, this idea of obviously the word of God is final revelation. I'm a Bible guy. This is divine, authoritative, inspired word of God. And some theologians say that this is revelation, but when God speaks to you from the pages of Scripture, let's call that illumination. You see the difference? The revelation of Scripture, illumination. Have you ever been reading your Bible and it just jumps off the page at you? And you realize God is talking to me by the agency of the Holy Spirit, and he just used a Bible passage to speak to me. So some theologians call that illumination of revelation. Uh, In my, just for the sake of today's message, I'm calling all of it revelation uh, with the understanding that you understand I'm not talking about extra-biblical revelation. It's basically when God speaks his will, his ways, and his perspective to you. And if we're going to mature, we need to hear that stuff and integrate it, not only individually, but yes, corporately. If you take notes, I'm a visual learner, I don't know about you, but if you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to draw five pictures today. And the pictures are going to live in this um, scope. When we're talking about corporate maturity, we're asking the Lord, Lord, take the church corporately from its current state to a place of corporate maturity. Let us move along in our growth continuum. And how does that happen? (laughs) I want to tell you, as one preacher said, I read the end of the book, and guess what? We win. You read the book of Revelation, you see that we will, at the end of the day, achieve this wonderful culmination. Do you see the message? Look at what it says, Revelation 19.7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride, that's all of us, the bride has made herself ready. Do you know what we're all in the process of doing? It's like we're engaged and we're prepping for the wedding day. And at the culmination of the body of Christ, at the culmination of the maturity and the purity of the bride of Christ, there will be wedding bells spiritually, and we will be ready to be married to Christ, the head of the church. This is the end game, and this is what we are heading 
toward. So the first picture I'm going to have you draw is this arrow download. It's called revelation. Everyone say revelation. When we get a revelation from God, this is important in moving us toward corporate maturity. But as you know, when we talk about revelation, we're talking about something rather subjective. Someone can say, well, I, have, I had a revelation of this, or I had a revelation of that. But you know, when God breaks upon our lives, he shows us, he shows us who he is, and he shows us who we are. <laughs> the two big revelations when we're born again. And how many of you know that you can read John 3.16 as a new believer and say, wow, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to, to die for me. And if I put my faith and trust and believe in him, that I will not perish, but I will have eternal life. Wow, mind blown. And as a new Christian, you're, you're just taken up with John 3.16 and the power and the purity of that message. Do you know that 50 years later, you can read John 3.16 and the Holy Spirit can burst new revelation upon your heart and mind. Why? Because this is a living book. This is a living message. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, you think you peeled the onion back. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's a lot of layers to God's word. And so you can open to John 3, 16, 50 years later and say, this is a new light, a new aspect of understanding to this beautiful message. What I'm talking about is when God speaks revelation to us. You know, church history is full of people getting revelation. Martin Luther, one of the great early reformers of the church, a Catholic monk, began reading through the book of Romans and he got a revelation that our justification and our right standing before God is not based on religious merits or religious duties, the buying of indulgences, or any of that. And his revelation that came is that the just will live by faith. And it came right out of the Bible. And so what it was, it was a download for us to help us in our corporate maturity. And do you know what happens? We are actually standing on the shoulders of Martin Luther. Because what was lost in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages when the church fell into disrepair, the Lord is building his church back up. Hear me, saints. So the Lord is building his church back up. Jesus was the great tecton carpenter who knew how to build stuff on earth. And he's still in the building program. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Come on, say amen. You might look around at the corporate church and say, well, we're, we're, we're divided. We, we don't, we're not walking together. We're not walking in love. Half the church is, you know, who knows what's going on in the body of Christ. And you might have had bad experiences with pastors or preachers or people in the church. I get it. But Jesus loves the church. And with all of her imperfections, Jesus is committed to bringing her through human history to a place of corporate maturity and then her being so ready that he marries her 
At the consummation of the ages, the bride will have made herself ready. So what I'm asking you to do is, in your heart and mind, go beyond your own spiritual journey and come with me to that 30,000-foot level. And let's talk about the corporate maturity of the body of Christ that Jesus is so passionate about. It begins with revelation. And so what is this all about? Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. What does this mean? Jesus was playing some of his cards close to his vest. (laughs) He says, oh guys, I've got so much to share with you. You know, if you're raising kids, you cannot drop the whole enchilada on a three-year-old. They're not ready for it. Parenting is about learning moments, teachable moments. And it's a process of many years, isn't it? And so Jesus says, guys, I've got so much to tell you, but the Holy Spirit is going to help you later. And look at one of the the things that he's describing, what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. We're talking about Jesus even promising that there will be moments of ongoing revelation. And then it says here in Ephesians 1.17, now the Apostle Paul pastored for three years the church at Ephesus, but even after downloading and preaching sound doctrine to them, uh, could you imagine the Apostle Paul as your pastor for three years? He still writes back, about five years later, he writes back and he says this to them. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Do you know what? Jesus is interested in giving you wisdom and revelation. You need wisdom to know how to handle the revelation so you don't drive off into a ditch. And the Apostle Paul knew this. He says, I, even though I've taught you guys for three years, I'm still praying for you, and guess guess what? This is what I'm praying, that you have wisdom to go along with your revelation. Can I hear an amen in the house today? So uh, for each of these five pictures, there's going to be a lesson I just want to leave with you, and I want you to know that these lessons help us talk about corporate maturity and that wonderful spiritual invisible process that Jesus is bringing us to. But all of these principles or lessons apply to your personal spiritual growth. So I'm asking you to listen with left ear and right ear uh, because these apply to how we grow spiritually as well. So there's a lesson about when God pours out revelation to bring us to corporate maturity and it's simply this. Always seek God's fresh revelation while testing all things by the word of God and the character of God. So when we're talking about getting revelation, it's not going to contradict the written word of God. But you know that you cannot find everything uh, in the Bible as to how to make a decision or should I buy a house? Should I buy that brand new Tesla can I, can I hear an amen? Should I, <laughs> should, whatever. You can't find Tesla in the Bible. I've checked the concordance. It's not there. But you can learn a lot in the pages of this book about the character of God. So 
Does the revelation always hunger for more? Does the revelation match the word of God and the character of God? And this, by the way, is how we judge the spiritual gifts, especially the revelatory and speaking gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We judge them, and you, you go through this own process when the Holy Spirit starts talking to you and bringing a message to you. You line it up with the word of God, and then you say, does this align also with the character of God? Lesson one, revelation. Doesn't stop there. Number two, let's march on, and you can draw this flash explosion and call it excitement. And when we get something new, we get excited about it. And let me tell you, church, the church should be the most exciting place on the planet. It should be more exciting than hanging out at the the, the wildest bar in town. And by the way, God has given you emotions. And your emotions are just as spiritual as your intellect. You think, oh, I need to figure this out with my mind. Yes, but God has also made you a feeling person. After all, we are not the first church of the deep freeze, are we? Do you know when God begins to speak to you? When God, think of about the times when God, when God has given you a revelation where he has really shown you something spiritually. I hope that the very next thing is you're excited about it. You're kind of like a new kid with a new a kid with a new toy. Just like our grandson Wesley who's going to be 5 years old. You know what he got for Christmas, guys? Last Christmas his mom and dad bought him an electric dirt bike. Have you ever seen one? It's amazing what they're doing with electric motors these days. Cuz when I was a kid, we used to have to get a mini bike. And then you know about mini bikes. You have to pull the, pull the cord and pull your arm out of socket just to try to get that thing to start. Not anymore. They're making electric dirt bikes. It looks just like a miniature dirt bike. And little Wesley got it for Christmas. And he, I want to tell you, the, all the family came over. The grandkids came over to our house. In the house, we were having a wonderful meal, fun, fellowship. All, everything was going on. Christmas family time in the house. Wesley was not happy. Wesley wanted to go outside and ride his electric dirt bike. He was a kid with a new toy. He was excited about what has been given to him. So much so, it kind of clouded everything else. Wesley, come on, enjoy the moment in here with Grandma and Grandpa. No, I want to go. I'm so excited about that new thing. Well, the body of Christ does get excited, and we should get excited. And this is what Scripture says. Uh, uh, look at Luke 24, 32. Uh, and they asked each other, this, these are the two on the road to Emmaus. Christ was crucified, resurrected, and showed up to these two as they were walking to Emmaus. And during that walk, you remember the story, during that walk, Jesus starts telling them how the Messiah had to suffer and die. And he gave them an Old Testament Bible study about where to find the Messiah in the pages of the Old Covenant. Wouldn't you have loved to hear that message? And what did they say? Didn't our hearts burn within us as he was walking with us and talking with us along the way? They got some new revelation, and they were excited. When was the last time, Christian friend, that your heart burned 
with excitement because God was talking to you. God was moving you from one place to a new place. I'm talking about movement. I'm talking about corporate maturity. And then it, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out. In Acts 2, those who received the word were baptized, and they were added to the church, about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. You see what happened is there was a tremendous shock and awe at the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people. Could you imagine if 3,000 people got saved in this church? And if we had like three or four baptismal tanks all along the front here, the carpet would be soaked with water. We'd be splashing people in and out of those pools. 3,000 people. Amazing day. After the shock and awe of the Holy Spirit comes the main and the plain of they devoted themselves. That excitement took on a new devotion to the four things that it takes to grow disciples. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. The main and the plain, as John Wimber used to call it. And so I believe this is true, that we need to get excited, and here's the lesson. Joyfully embrace a fresh move of God while staying rooted in the main and the plain. We were all singing for revival. I love singing and praying like with you all this morning. That song we were singing about God sending the the fresh move of the Spirit and revival. When God sends revival, wonderful, exciting things happen. But guess what? That doesn't mean that we go flake off into the atmosphere. The revival of Acts chapter 2 had tremendous move of God, but they stayed rooted in the main and the plain. And that is going to help us. Come on. It's going to help us move toward corporate maturity. Here we go. Number three, if you're drawing pictures in your notes, I I wish I didn't have to tell you point number three, but it's absolutely true. Human nature teaches us this, and church history teaches us this. Draw this third picture and label it excess. What happens when God sends a revelation, something amazing, we get excited about it, and A third of the body of Christ embraces it and goes wacko with it. A third of the body of Christ looks at the wackos and rejects it and takes a pendulum and swings it all the way over here and says, that's of the devil. And then the other third is somewhere in the middle saying, what in God's name is going on? So, You see the two arrows pointing toward excess in both directions. I was saved when I was five years old in in the flow of the charismatic renewal of the 60s and 70s. I was raised a Baptist. All six Mazar kids went to Baptist church. You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That was our life and a reality. Mom was touched by the charismatic renewal of the 60s and 70s. And I know this church was too. As a matter of fact, I know this church had its founding and roots in that same outpouring. And so many wonderful things happened in the charismatic renewals. Renewal, the Holy Spirit spread across denominational lines, didn't he? 
you had Episcopalians speaking in tongues for crying out loud. And, and as the Holy Spirit and the charismatic renewal of the 60s and 70s touched so many churches and so many lives, it split churches and it birthed churches at the same time. And guess what? There was some excess. Do you know that of all the good and all the good intention that the Holy Spirit had for that move of God, some churches got so excited about tongues, they said, Here's, tongues are so important that you need to speak in tongues in order to be saved. False doctrine. The Bible does not say that. It was taking something of the good and taking it way out of doctrinal perspective. And guess what? Some of the other part of the body of Christ said, oh, those tongue talkers, we're, see the pendulum like this? You know the pendulum swings? They said, oh, tongues is, is of the devil. And so you had some of the body of Christ uh, totally rejecting the things of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, the Baptist church that we were part of at the time, the elders of the church threatened the pastor, and they said, because the pastor was touched by the Holy Spirit, that Baptist pastor. And he started speaking and teaching on the Holy Spirit the leaders of the church came to him and said, Pastor, you stop teaching about the Holy Spirit or we will fire you. Guess what? He was fired. Sad. When a, when a church kicks out the Holy Spirit, isn't it? But what we're talking about is excess. This is normal. It's human nature. And uh, here's, here's what we know. The Apostle Paul was a teacher of grace. Coming out of strict law adherence as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he knew how to do law really well. Then he gets saved, Acts chapter 9, and now his new message is you can be right with God by grace through faith, right? Some people heard his grace message and took it to an extreme and accused him of being an extremist. As a matter of fact, look at what he says here. Romans 3 and Romans 6. Some might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some, watch this, slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. Romans 6.15 what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. See, what was Paul addressing? Paul was addressing the fact that there was a sound teaching of revelation that was being taken into extremes and into error. So here we see the lesson for this picture excess. Guard against both arrogance and fear as you hold truth in Balance. Everyone say that last phrase with me. Truth in balance. Do you know that this is very important to understand the nature of truth? Well, you might say, wait a minute, I'm a black and white guy. With God, it's black and white. There are many things in this book that are clearly black and white. But you know that there's some gray areas Romans chapter 14, Paul calls them disputable matters. There are some gray areas, and we need to apply our gray matter to the gray areas. 
And so avoid fear and arrogance as you hold truth in balance. Do you have a bungee cord? I think every man needs to have 10 bungee cords just like me. I've got bungee cords hanging up in my garage. I keep bungee cords in my vehicles. You know what a bungee cord is. You're bringing some lumber back from Lowe's and you strap one part of your bungee cord to the rack of your car and then you stretch it, stretch it, stretch it and you pray to God that that other side doesn't let loose because if it does, you're going to lose an eye. (laughs) But you stretch it to the other side and you lock it down, don't you, with that S-hook. When is a bungee cord at its best? When it's under tension. That's when it's truly doing its work. Let me tell you, friend, balance is your friend. It truly is. The older I get, the more I appreciate balance. (laughs) And this is a picture of a bungee cord, and I would just like to announce to you the divine truth is often held in divine tension. For example, did God pre-select you based on his foreknowledge and predestine you to get saved? Or did you choose God and choose salvation as an act of your own free will? This is the age-old argument between theologians of Calvinism and Armenianism. And you know, there are some very smart people on both sides of that argument. And you can point to Bible verses, actually, on both sides of that argument. Are you saved by grace? Or are you saved by works? Do works manifest your faith? How about the kingdom of God? Is the kingdom of God here? Or is the kingdom of God yet to come? All of these are truths that are both, yes, they are held in divine tension. Balance is your friend. Here we go. Right, uh, draw this next picture of this arrow coming from both spectrums of, like that excess of both air and coming together. And label that correction. I thank God that as we look back through church history, as God brings divine downloads to the body of Christ, woo, we get excited, we throw a party, some of us go excess, and some are rejecting. But then there's a grace that comes by the leaders of the church. As a matter of fact, church history has church councils that formally met to lay out This is sound doctrine. The great creeds of the church came out of this, the Apostles' Creed. And I know we don't say that in our churches. But you know what? All of that blood was spilled for the very things that we take for granted now. You know what church history is looking like? God puts something new in the church. Martin Luther, let's go back to him. The just will live by faith. Scripture alone. The individual priesthood of the believer. And that is, that's a download to the church. But guess what human nature does? We build four walls around it and we call it the Lutheran church. I'm not against my Lutheran brothers. 
they're standing on some solid theological ground that Martin Luther had. But what happens when God pours out more understanding or more reformation or more restoration to his church? For example, the Anabaptists, the early first Baptists, came along in church history and they said, baptism is for believers, not for infants. And so we take this for granted in churches like this, believers' baptism. Do you know they so persecuted the early Baptists that they tied them with ropes and drowned them in water? It's like, you want to be baptized? We'll show you baptism. Here's what church history shows us. The past move of God usually does not accept the current move of God and usually persecutes it. So that later, when John and Charles Wesley come along and they emphasize holiness... They emphasize a method of making disciples. It was never their intention to start a denomination called Methodism or Wesleyan. But what happens is we say the Wesleyans, the Wesleys, they had the silver bullet. See, what happens in our human nature is we're always looking for the silver bullet. And we put four walls around that and we call that Methodism. And then the Lord moves on, and here we are, the charismatics, the, the Pentecostals, the spirit-filled people. Oh, man, we're, yes, we're born again. Yes, you know what we get to say at this point in church history? Yes, I believe what Luther gave us. Yes, I believe what the Baptists gave us. Yes, I believe what John and Charles Wesley gave us. Yes, I believe what the Presbyterians gave us. And all of these reformers in church history who had a revelation Do you know what our challenge is? To stand in this place humbly so that when God continues to bring maturity and understanding revelation to the body of Christ, that we don't become the next persecutors of what God is doing down the street. Can I hear an amen in the house? Am I talking to anyone today? Correction is very important. Galatians. Paul takes the gloves off when he writes the letter to the Galatians. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, be free, but don't use it. What's he doing? He's writing a correction to grace, isn't he? He's saying, yeah, you are free, but it doesn't give you freedom to go sin. So this is, this is the wisdom of Paul writing correction. And look at this. If you hear nothing else, hear Ecclesiastes 7.18. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Think bungee cord. Clamp to both sides of your car. Hold to one not letting loose of the other. This is the wisdom that comes when God brings correction to the body of Christ. So here's our lesson. Allow trusted leaders and the evidence of good fruit to help discern God's intention for the revelation. I hope you got that. For every revelation, there's an intention. Every divine revelation has a divine intention. Lord, what are you doing, and how are you bringing maturity 
through what you've just downloaded to us. Finally, and we end with this, integration. We've got to come to this point. Do you know that 40, 50 years ago, when I was a kid in the Baptist church during worship, no one raised their hands. That was only for the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. Of course, in the Charismatic movement, one of the things, two things were deposited in the church during Charismatic movement. One, the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Two, freedom in worship, where we don't just sing um, about God, <laughs> we sing to God. And you know what happens if you go visit many denominational churches today, you can go to Baptist churches, and guess what? They're singing some of the same songs that we're singing. And you got half the church with their arms in the air. And you might look, what do you know? Half of those Baptists are now Pentecostals. What, what am I saying? My point is, there's something that has gotten massaged into the body of Christ. Thank God for it. it. The word I'm using is integration. That when what was so alarming and appalling and divisive about free worship, now 50 years on, we have a broad acceptance of the fact that, oh, worship is all about interacting with God's presence. And that's crossing denominational lines. And so it's a beautiful thing to see Integration, And here's what scripture tells us. James 1.21, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you. How many gardeners do we have? People who love to dig in the soil, plant things, make things grow. It, that's the way we should be with the word of God. It's, we, we should receive it. Integration, humbly planted in us. And when it's in us, guess what? It's going to grow. And then 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Did you see that? This is what integration, see correction brings us to integration and integration allows us to embrace that thing and correctly handle the word of truth. Not in excess, not in error, not in false doctrine, Integration. So we're talking about going from where we are now to a place of corporate maturity. And the lesson is teach and practice the revelation in the context of both sound doctrine and the eternal purpose of God. And you might say, well, Pastor Sonny, I know what sound doctrine is, but what in the world is the eternal purpose of God? It's this. You are part of something much bigger than yourself. You are, you are part of something in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, that is moving and living and active. And we are on a big journey together of corporate maturity. And I want to encourage you with this because sometimes we have some bad days. Right, Marissa? We wake up and we realize, I got a cracked windshield. What a bummer. This is going to be expensive. Sometimes we have problems and reversals and 
relational disputes and sin problems and hurts and habits and hang-ups. All these things are part and parcel of our human experience. But there is a corporate movement of maturity. And when we're talking about the eternal purpose of God, it's a fine golden thread woven through human history like a timeline in which God is working out his purpose on earth through all the highs and lows, rising and fallings of kings, kingdoms, nations, wars. There's a fine working out of the eternal purpose of God which will one day find its maturity in consummation. The bride has made herself ready. Friends, that's where we're going. I hope you're encouraged, especially those of you who are tempted to be bogged down with the minutia of your personal problems. Although pain is real, I get that. Financial problems, death, divorce, all of this is very real. But you know what faith helps us do? Faith helps us connect with God's bigger narrative. When you read the stories about the martyrs of the church, some of them went to burning stake, burning at the stake, singing praise to God. How can you do that? <laughs> You're getting your eyes off your immediate problems and to something that's transcendent. Getting your eyes off the fact that the flames are licking you up and about to consume you and kill you to the fact that, Jesus, I'm coming home. That kind of grace I'm afraid is way foreign to the church of America. And so when we go through difficulties, it allows us to tap into the transcendent. I end with this thought. Here's, here's the timeline. Here's the picture. Here's the movements toward corporate maturity. And Paul laid it out as a blueprint for the body of Christ. He said, the Lord Jesus ascended on high and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to help equip God's people for works of service so that we will no longer be infants driven and tossed by the winds and waves of, and, and false teachings of men in their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love. Watch corporate maturity. Get ready. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. I told you we're going to fly at 30,000 feet. This blueprint right here behind me is the Apostle Paul's blueprint for corporate maturity. When, when the Lord places into your life apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they're equipping you to act like Jesus. Which is why I love how Pastor Bobby and the staff here are talking through this wonderful text, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount because it challenges us to move toward personal maturity while understanding we're part of something bigger called corporate maturity. I hope you got something out of this today. I hope some of these lessons are some, even if you just got one nugget that you can put in your pocket and take home, even if in just your mind's eye you, you see a bungee cord right now, that's good. Because I believe that the Lord wants this church to be a church that knows how to hold truth and tension, 
to walk in love, to walk in power, and to be an influence for the kingdom of God in this region. Amen, church? I'd like to pray for you. Father, thank you for Christ Chapel. I thank you for Pastor Bobby as he leads this church. And as he leads as a wise master builder, as he uh, puts things in place, as he teaches, as he uh, casts vision, Lord, I thank you for for who you've called him to be here uh, for such a time as this. And Lord, I thank you that this church has a kingdom vision, that they are about so much more than just these four walls. They are truly seeing lives changed. Continue to work this grace in them and through them as together we all move toward corporate maturity. In Jesus' name, I thank you. And everyone said, amen.